a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth! So, buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not gonna stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah, Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people. On RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen from the National Patriot, Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. It's the 9th of January. Welcome to it. Diane, our first show back in the new year, 2024. And you know what's so weird? Nothing has changed since 2023. <laughs> I know, you know, and look, folks, we always take a couple of weeks off over, you know, Christmas and New Year's and, uh, you know, that. And this time, uh, because Christmas and New Year's was on a Monday, we extended the the little hiatus that we usually take by an extra couple of days, um, thinking that we might get out of this endless loop of the same old news cycle. Um, it, it didn't work. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in the same stuff, folks. Uh, no. But you know what? Things are going to start happening fast and furious from here on out. This year, it's going to get more and more interesting. Uh, in, in just a little bit, we're going to be talking about the upcoming next week, the upcoming Iowa caucus, which really kind of kicks off the whole primary season. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into that uh, here in just a little bit. But let me tell folks what else we have coming up on the show tonight. Diane, you're talking about uneasiness unfolding. Yes. I've got a Poison Ivy League resignation tonight. Right. So those two segments are coming up. But let's start tonight, really, with the curious case of Lloyd Austin. Very, very strange. I mean, the man, he has an issue. As everybody probably knows by now, he has prostate cancer, and he's going to have to undergo treatment, etc., But what people don't realize is the shenanigans that went on here, they did not inform the White House of what his condition was or that he was going in, etc. Now, normally you wouldn't think anything of it. However, right now, the world is in turmoil. We have war in the Middle East. We still have Ukraine. We have China set to go in on Taiwan. And our, you know, um, Austin is is missing in action, basically. And what that does, it's kind of set up a scenario. Do you remember the movie Seven Days in May? 
Oh, yeah. It's kind of set up that kind of scenario. Well, I'll tell you and what. And it's very scary. It, it was even more bizarre, and I, I don't want to just kind of gloss it over as just being kind of a strange oddity. You know, first of all, uh, they did not make Joe Biden aware that the Secretary of State was out of commission. Right. Now, I, I can understand that to some extent. I mean, first of all, Biden's not even aware whether or not he's wearing pants. He may not even know who Lloyd Austin is at this point. You know, and, you know, if you tell him Lloyd Austin is out uh, of commission for a while, you know, Biden's like, who? Um, Biden has not held a cabinet meeting since early October. Right. Okay, so that adds to the bizarreness of this situation. You think about this. As you mentioned, uh, the world's on fire right now. You've got yes. Ukraine. You've got the Middle East. You've got Russia. You've got uh, China. You've got North Korea. Uh, you've got various international terrorist organizations all making noise. you got the situation at our southern border. I mean, the, the world's on fire. And he mm-hmm. hasn't ha- – and not only that, okay, and, and those are all things, of course, that the Secretary of Defense would have a role in working on. But aside from that, you look at the economic situation in this country right now. You look at all these domestic issues right now, and Joe Biden has not held a cabinet meeting since early October? Right. I mean, so – Obviously, he's not in communication, really, with any of his cabinet, much less the Secretary of Defense, who anybody who occupies the Oval Office should be in contact with their Secretary of Defense, especially in times like this on a daily basis. Okay? Right. So so that's one thing. Now, here's the next thing. Lloyd Austin's, um, I, I don't want to call him... Uh, an advisor, but uh, you know the the main person in Lloyd Austin's office was lying about where Lloyd Austin was, telling people he was working from home. Right. Well, you know what? There's something even worse about this whole situation is that he actually, during his hospitalization, he transferred power over to the Deputy Secretary of Defense, and her yeah. name is Kathleen Hicks. But he himself did not inform the White House. Why? Well, I'll do you one better. They didn't mm-hmm. even inform Kathleen Hicks. Kathleen Hicks was on vacation. She was in Puerto right. Rico. Right. And they reached her in Puerto Rico and said, oh, by the way, uh, you know, for the time being, you are now the acting Secretary of Defense in the absence of Lloyd Austin. Did right. Kathleen Hicks fly home immediately and, and go sit in the Pentagon in her office and do it? No. She no. stayed on vacation in Puerto Rico. That's There's something very fishy about this whole situation. Not that he doesn't have prostate cancer. I mean, nobody's going to lie about that. But the entirety of the scenario here it is you have the secretary of defense undergoing surgery um i'm sure he's going to have rounds of chemo 
therapy and all that, and not informing the White House. Yes, it's, it's you know, Biden, but let's be honest here. It's Obama. Right, right. And, okay. and yeah, you can't, you can't uh, discount that playing into the mix either. Exactly. This is a very dangerous situation that they've created now because, all right, now he's supposedly out again. Is he back in charge? <laughs> Who's really in charge of defense? And also you have to face the possibility what could have happened if something major overseas happened while we basically didn't have a Secretary of Defense. Exactly. Our, our national defense literally right. was on the line with nobody at the helm. Exactly. Okay. Now, you take all of this that you and I have been talking about here for the last few minutes. Okay. Obviously, if he underwent a surgical procedure, being as that this is... Uh, a prostate cancer situation, would he not have been anesthetized? Uh, I believe his surgery was very simple. It's called a prostatectomy. Um, prostatectomy. Um, I think it's a fairly simple procedure. That he might have been, you know, anesthetized for a short period of time. Okay. Um, Even and if it you're was only- very early in the cancer, they believe that he is going to face a hundred percent recovery. They actually use the word excellent. Uh, some sites are saying he's going to have to undergo a round or two of chemo. Others are saying no. My my it's, point my point is even if he's under anesthesia for only a few minutes, he's under anesthesia, and he holds national security secrets. There is well, protocol apparently for such he transferred things. the power over to Hicks before but, he went into surgery, but she wasn't here. But he, but she didn't even know it. Right. Okay. She was. I mean, obviously. He was aware he was going in to the hospital for this. It was elective surgery. This wasn't an emergency surgery situation. So he knew ahead of time what the the hospitalization schedule was. He never informed the deputy secretary of defense. She went went on vacation, not knowing anything about it. But when she found out about it, she didn't even come back. No. Okay. That's a breach of command, a big time. We were right. left without a secretary, an acting secretary of defense. This is a general we're talking about. It's not Private Gomer Pyle. Right. Okay. He is obviously aware of the proper protocol. He's obviously aware of the chain of command. He should be aware that, and while most likely would never, ever, come to this he is the sixth in line to the oval office right okay he also holds national security defense secrets so if he's going mm-hmm. under if they're even going to anesthetize him for a few minutes there is a certain protocol for that 
Obviously, none of this was followed, which tells me that the woke general has very, very poor judgment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what happens when you pick people who are not really qualified for the position you're appointing them to. Now, the, the good news, as you said a couple of minutes ago, was that the elective surgery seemed to go well. Um, according to people that know, and, and let's face it, not a whole lot has been revealed uh, right. of, officially, but according to people who know, um, the surgery was successful as doctors managed to remove his head from his ass. <laughs> but why all the secrecy? Why all the, the cloak and dagger? Why the misdirection? Now, what the Pentagon is saying today is that, well, you know, yeah, we kind of botched the, uh, the, the, you know, putting this out there. No, you didn't botch putting it out there. You tried to cover up that it was even happening. This was, I would guarantee you this was planned this wasn't something that happened at the spur of the moment. Oh, I have to go in and have elective surgery. So obviously a date was set. He knew when the transfers and everything should have taken place and he didn't do it. So that means that Lloyd Austin is guilty, in my opinion, of dereliction of duty. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, according to John Kirby, oh, no, no, everything's fine. He's not going to lose his job. He's not going to get fired. Let me tell you something. Not only should he be fired, but the person in his office who was lying to everybody saying, well, he's working from home, that person should get fired. The deputy secretary of defense who found out while in Puerto Rico on vacation, that for the time being, she was the acting secretary of defense should be fired for staying on vacation. Right. right. I, I just don't get it how this administration operates. Now, I can understand, like what you said in the beginning, they don't want to tell Biden because Biden's not going to know what they're talking about anyway. Right. Okay. Does that mean Kamala Harris wasn't notified? Also, well, I would, I would does assume. that mean, wait, wait, does that mean the Speaker of the House was not notified? Remember, he's third in line for the presidency. I, I'm, Diane, I'm guessing nobody was notified. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's a complete breakdown of protocol. It's a complete breakdown of chain of command. It's a dereliction of duty. I mean, it, it's everything wrong. Right. And this is what this is what we have running our country. This is the man who's running again to run our country. I mean, this is... No, look, listen, you, you asked a valid question a couple of minutes ago. You said, well, what if something, would, what if something really big happened? Right. You know, what, what if all of a sudden... You know, he's out of commission and nobody knows where he is. And China attacks Taiwan. 
so on and so forth. Well, let me tell you what was going on while he was out of commission for almost a week. Our troops in the Middle East, both in Iraq and Syria and in the Red Sea, were under attack on a daily basis. Right. And where the hell is the Secretary of Defense who's running the show? Nobody. And that is dereliction of duty. I think Austin needs to be removed from his position immediately. I could not agree more. You know, we're going to keep an eye on this because I guarantee you this fallout isn't over. Oh, no, no. It'll go on and on until they start burying it. Well, you know, which which the media is trying to do right now. They're, yeah, no, no, this is fine. He's fine. Don't, you know, nothing to see here. Move along. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just it's just insane. All right. So let's shift gears here. Uh, a week from last night, we've got the Iowa caucus coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all hands on deck in Iowa. Uh, right now Uh, the candidates the main candidates they're all there Uh, Nikki Haley's there Ron DeSantis is there Uh, even Trump uh, is making uh, you know a few uh, appearances in Iowa leading up to next week's Monday Night Caucus all the polls and and, and folks this is this is where you got to kind of sit back and and take a deep breath all the polls are showing that Donald Trump is way ahead. Okay. But this is not a primary. This is a caucus. Different animal completely. And it's it's very interesting because right before this show started, I was watching um, Ron DeSantis, his town hall in Iowa. And what people don't understand is in Iowa, with the caucus, as best as I understand it, it's the delegates you're electing who will then cast their vote for the um, who they want Iowa to support. Well, contrary to what the media polls are saying, the delegate count is overwhelmingly, at this point, in the favor of Ron DeSantis, not Trump. Yeah, at least that's what it looks like right now. Now, I have said on this show, and Diane, you and I talk almost every day, and obviously, even while we were on, uh, you know, the the holiday vacation, you Mm -hmm. and I were talking, and I keep telling you, and I keep telling people on this show, you know, sit back and, and get a grip, because... The Iowa caucus is a bizarre thing. And, you know, people show up to the caucus looking like they're going to the audience of let's make a deal. Um, The problem is it's supposed to be very bad weather on Monday. Yeah. Now, see, we're getting, you know, uh, eastern Nebraska, uh, the whole eastern half uh, of Nebraska has been getting hit uh, with, with a big snowstorm. Uh, over the weekend and yesterday, uh, kind of tapered off today. They finally got I-80 in Nebraska reopened uh, the middle of this afternoon, but that whole thing is moving to the east and just east of Nebraska on the other side of the Missouri River is Iowa. And right. all of this is going to be moving into Iowa, not only the storm system, but absolutely frigid weather 
is head, heading for Iowa and will be there on Monday. Yes. So it, it should make for an interesting caucus. I mean, the whole process is very different than what we're used to, most of us, with primaries. Um, the What the talking heads now are saying, because it's basically three people now. It's Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. Vivek going nowhere, Christie going nowhere. If, let's say Trump still pulls it off, but let's say DeSantis or Haley is right there on his butt. That's very ominous for Trump. It's interesting. Um, I think Trump is going to have, I think it's going to be a lot closer in Iowa next week than the polls are showing. And I think New Hampshire is going to be close, too. Well, I think and I hope Governor DeSantis is going to kick butt in Iowa. The delegate count is looking that way. But again, like you say, it, it's a very different way of dealing with this. So there's no guarantee. But one thing I do know is that polls lie. Right. Remember? Remember, folks, Obama versus Hillary. Hillary was projected to win right up the nomination right up till the end. Obama pulled it off. Hillary was supposed to win in 2016. Every poll had her winning. Trump pulled it off. Polls most assuredly lie because the people they're polling, the pollsters know, support the candidate that they're pushing. Right. And it all depends on how they ask the questions. Yeah, yeah, it's not the fairest process. So I don't put any credence personally in polls. Yeah, I don't know that I would say it's not a fair process, but it's not an accurate process. Right. Right. It's definitely not accurate. Now, here's the best way I can describe, and I, I may be wrong on this, and maybe some of our listeners have a better handle on it. Maybe some of our listeners in Iowa have a better handle on it. But in a nutshell, kind of in a general sense, the Iowa caucus, or any caucus for that matter, is kind of like a mini GOP convention. You know, when you go to the convention, you have delegates, and the delegates cast their votes. And and it's who the delegates choose that gets the nomination at the convention. Well, the caucus is kind of like that. There's going to be wheeling and dealing going on all day and into the night next yes. Monday in Iowa, where mm-hmm. people are going to try to sway, um, you know, delegates from candidate A to candidate B or from candidate C to candidate A. Um, and that's why it's kind of like, let's make a deal. I mean, it's raucous, it's rowdy, it's, it's, uh, it's not uh, a, a really... Uh, mild-mannered, laid-back thing. It's it's. If you've ever seen uh, the House of Commons in, in the UK, it's kind of like that. Yeah, in a way, and it's it's fun in a way. The caucuses that I've seen, you know, highlights on TV. It it, it almost seems like it's a celebration of sh- sorts in oh. the sense. 
that here it is, we might be able to get the bad out with the good. It's a party. You know, like, get the good in as we get the bad out, so let's celebrate and party a little. It's it's a whole different process than we primary states are used to. Yeah, I mean, primary states, you go cast your ballot like you do in the general election, and then they right. count, count up the ballots at the end of the night. Sometimes it may take into the next day. But, you know, you count up the ballots and, and you see who wins. In a caucus, you're trying to get, you know, the the people that wind up casting the votes to, to shift their vote one way or the other. And you're trying to make last-minute deals to get, you know, the, the number of votes you need to win the Iowa caucus. It's a crazy deal. But right now, as Diane said a couple of minutes ago, you know, the the caucus vote is a lot closer than what the polls indicate. And it could yes. be that Ron DeSantis has more uh, of the caucus voters at this point than does Donald Trump. We just don't know. We don't know. And the snow is going to be a very strange factor because will the Trump voters, the diehard only Trumpers, Knowing that Trump, according to the polls, is so far ahead, will they say, okay, we've got it anyway, so there's no need for us to show up? Will the DeSantis voters think, knowing what I just said as a possibility, will they go out in droves? And then you have the same thing with the Haley voters. The weather affecting this, the weather itself could actually determine the winner. How well, strange is that? It, it could, and it it would. I think it would stand more of a chance of having that kind of an effect if it was a strict primary vote where people had to go to the polls and vote. Right. Okay. That's not really what the Iowa caucus is, and I think no. I think these people, uh, and and you know the the only Trumpers, I don't think anything's going to dissuade them from getting out. And at the same time, I think the people that definitely think as you and I do, that it's time for a new generation of leadership, it's time for somebody who could who could serve for eight years, not just four <laughs> years, you know, the everything you and I have been talking about and, and writing about over the past several months, I don't think those people are going to be dissuaded uh, by bad weather either. No, you know, it the could whole just thing be is, the middle of the rotors. It could be yeah. the independents, the fence sitters. Yeah. We don't know we don't is know. the bottom line. We don't know. But I'll tell you, after following the DeSantis campaign, after having met the man twice and hearing him speak on one-on-one at, at some of the Republican organizations that I um, go to, Ron DeSantis is presidential. Yeah. Nikki Haley, it's hard to gauge because we've never had a woman president. I think she's capable. When you put those two together on the stage, and then you have Trump, we need to have an election not about Trump, but about what's best for our country. Right. And if anybody watched that 
town hall yesterday with Nikki Haley and that town hall tonight with Ron DeSantis, how you can go and think that Donald Trump and all his woes and divisiveness and everything else is best for our country. We've got more problems than we even think. Well, I, I would agree with that. You know, I watched Nikki Haley last night in her town hall uh, mm-hmm. in Des Moines. I I listened, um, you know, because Diane and I were getting connected uh, for the show tonight. So I listened to part of it coming through Diane's mic because she had her TV on. I didn't have mine on. Um, right, for DeSantis. You know, so I, I heard some of that, and I'm going to watch all of it. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to go back and watch the tape because I'm really interested in that. And do I understand correctly, is Donald Trump doing one of those tomorrow? Yes, he is. And he's doing it deliberately at the exact same time that the CNN debate between DeSantis and Haley will take place. Now, I'll tell you what. Coward, thy name is Donald Trump. I know what what Trump's all about. Trump's all Mm -hmm. about Trump. Right. Okay. Uh, tomorrow night, I'll be watching the CNN debate. As much as I hate to give CNN an audience, yeah, tomorrow night, I will be watching that because I expect some fireworks uh, in that debate, but it's only the two of them that are going to be on the stage. So they're both going to have ample time uh, to put together answers and articulate them. So it's going to be interesting. Right. It's going to be very interesting. And what I noticed about last night, Nikki Haley, and tonight, Ron DeSantis, they never name-called like Trump right. does. Anything they said about Trump, and both of them did say things, was done very politely and very respectfully. Right. That's not how Trump operates. Nope. And, you know, that's going to be on full display. But I'm going to watch uh, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley uh, tomorrow night on CNN. Mm -hmm. But with that, we've come to the bottom of this hour, which means we have to take a quick break. Now, 30 minutes coming up. I'm talking about a Poison Ivy League resignation. But when we come back from the bottom of the hour break here, Diane's got it with uneasiness unfolding. So stay with us. There's more Right Side Patriots after this. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk, where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. 
On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out The National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on rspradio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor, getting you through a Tuesday night show. The 9th of January. Okay. Look, hey, folks, if you miss any part of the show, all you got to do is go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button. This show and all the others are going to be there waiting for you. Yes, it will. All right. So we got a couple of big segments coming up here. Diane, you have taken on kind of a year-end, New Year shift over with uneasiness Mm -hmm. unfolding. Yes, and let me start by saying as the holiday season has finally and thankfully come to an end, and with it the horrendous year that was 2023, I cannot help but to think that what should have been the most joyous time of the year seemed more downplayed and somber than in years past. And while many, I'm sure, felt as I did, I could not stop thinking about certain events that directly led me to harbor what was a truly uneasy feeling regarding events relating to the upcoming 2024 presidential election, coupled with the horrors of an unwanted war that could forever change key world alliances. Now, as for the upcoming election, for me, first and foremost, as it stands right now, is the fact that we will likely see both our beloved America herself and we the people being the biggest losers, no matter which party's presumed nominee is elected next November, with presumed being the operative word. And while on the Republican side, one man has already deemed himself to be the winner of both the nomination and the general election, his sickly, string-pulled Democrat opponent of both the nomination and the general election. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I had a pop out here. Let me start that one sentence again. And while on the Republican side, one man has already deemed himself to be the winner of both the nomination and the general election, his sickly, string-pulled Democrat opponent does just the same. And this alone leads me to believe that simple, common sense, and logical thinking has failed so many on both sides of the political aisle, failed in their refusing to see that freedom salvation means that neither of the presumed nominees is the right man to lead our country during these most dangerous and volatile of times. Simply and to the point, a total change in leadership is desperately needed, especially on the domestic front, what with our economy continuing to falter, inflation seeming to be at a standstill at best, and our southern unsecured border remaining but an open free-for-all fiasco. 
And when you add in overt foreign policy blunders from one man, while the other remains eerily silent on certain important matters, it would be unwise to discount the possibility that a third party, dark horse upset, could come this November. Why so? As the dissatisfaction numbers with both the Republican and Democrat presumed nominees continues to grow, numbers which has led to a totally divided electorate, now further being divided within each party itself, Craig, that means that the truly dissatisfied might well see their only alternative being to vote rogue. You know, it wouldn't be the first time that a third-party candidate uh, has disrupted uh, a general election. I mean, if you're old enough, like I am, you, you go back and you think of Ross Perot, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, he pulled 19%, for goodness sakes. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, nobody saw it coming until it happened. So we know that polls are not always accurate, especially yes. this far out. But what are the polls showing us as far as a third-party candidate and maybe a third-party candidate's viability? Okay. Well, according to a fairly recent Gallup poll, not only has a growing number of the party faithful toured with the idea of voting for a third-party candidate, but a full 75% of independent voters, voters desperately needed by both presumed nominees to pull off a November win, also have considered voting third party in 2024, because for them, neither of the presumed Republican or Democrat nominee is acceptable. Also remember that most independent voters do want the next generation of leaders to assume the reins of power. And when you couple that with the fact that it's the independent voter who more times than not determines an election's final outcome, courtesy of their taking support away from both the Democrat and Republican nominee, those who are sometimes called spoilers might well become the saviors of our country come November 5th. And this is no matter that a good number of folks in the media are saying that a vote for anyone but the presumed Democrat nominee is a vote for the presumed Republican nominee, and of course, vice versa. And the ever- constant ad nauseum spewing of the word disloyalty, whether it be personal or party in nature, coupled with the act of online shaming, has now become the calling card of both parties' presumed nominee, along with their respective supporters, as well as it now being the calling card of numerous bought and paid for media cohorts on both sides of the political aisle. And this I see as being yet another form of election interference in its own right. But it's not the same type of interference that one of the presumed nominees is now currently being accused of. How so? As the media happily sees their bottom line profits most decidedly in the black due to ratings upticks in both viewership and online readership, as usually happens in the lead up to a major presidential election, coupled with party donations rising as party leaders continue to shove their party's chosen ones down our collective throats, it now becomes apparent, or at least it should give one pause to wonder, that maybe we the people are being played by the collective 
of both parties' hierarchy, along with their aiding and abetting cohorts in the media, who dare not side with nor show support for any but but the parties chosen presumed nominees. Let me explain. The Democrat Party must see Joe Biden as both their party nominee and general election winner, with Kamala Harris again being his running mate, simply because only then would Barack Obama continue being the one actually running the country, even with his taking into account that if Joe Biden were to die while in office with Kamala then become president, Obama would gain even more control than he likely already has. Also know that Biden's current policies are Obama's policies. Just compare and contrast both, and you'll see they are one and the same, but with some very slight variations to try and hide what is obviously lurking in plain sight. Simply, Obama loyalist Democrats, which comprises the majority of the Democrat Party, still Craig crave Obama's fundamental transformation of America, including but surely not limited to economic transformation and cultural transformation, as in the nonsense that comprises the bulk of the whole woke ideology, together being what I call structured transformation from the inside out, transformation of the most nefarious and no longer being kept secret kind. Okay, so you've talked about third-party candidates and the disruption they can have uh, in the election <laughs> cycle, especially when we get to um, you know the general election in November. Talk a little bit, if you would, about what happens, because this, this is another aspect that we have never really had to consider uh, mm-hmm. seriously before. But talk about what happens if... Let's say Joe Biden is not the nominee for some reason. I mean, right now it looks like he's certainly going to be, but a lot can happen. A lot can happen between now and even the conventions. But to the Democrat hierarchy, I know Obama does remain its titular head. Prime above all else is the fact that the, the current Democrat status quo must remain intact. No deviation from Obama's preset course allowed, something that might not be possible if a different Democrat were to garner the party's nomination. It's imperative for the Democrats that easily controlled presumed nominee Joe Biden must run against presumed Republican nominee Donald Trump for the Democrat hierarchy has had eight long years to assure that the fix, the win, is yet again, at least it is, in a rematch between these two men. And for this reason alone, it's imperative that two new nominees, two new persons with different sets of ideas and policies, must emerge before the nomination process actually takes place. Something that could still happen, but only if common sense is allowed to overtake misplaced loyalty and political devotion within both the Democrat and Republican parties, and only if the media stops pushing this rematch ratings bonanza, a monetary bonanza only for the media, a would-be 
really reality disaster for our country, as most Americans do not want a Trump v. Biden rematch. And while the above stated need for two new presidential nominees greatly contributed to my holiday uneasiness, there was another event that for me made the holidays seem lackluster at best. And this event has a start date, but no end date attached to it. As in October 6, 2023, the day Hamas declared war on both the Jewish state of Israel and on Jews in general via savagery and butchery committed, acts unseen since the days of the Holocaust. And October 6th also marks the day that not only did the victims, that is both Israel and the Jewish people, morph into becoming the perpetrators for some, but it also marks the day that the perpetrator, that is Hamas, backed supplied and given marching orders by Iran, of course, became a misguided hero of sorts to those who relish in keeping the hate that is anti-Semitism alive. No wonder the holidays for me had a shadow hanging over them, for not only does the Israeli-Hamas war still rage on and know that I not only support and side with Israel and Bibi Netanyahu 110%, but that I have no sympathy whatsoever for the fate of the so-called Palestinian civilians who not only voted Hamas into power and continue to support them, but who have now become casualties of a war their own people started. And Craig, when you add in that the aforementioned rise in anti-Semitism seems to be a perceived and accepted new norm, both here in our country and abroad, it's no wonder what was once holiday joy seemed missing this past year. You know, October 7th was a very dark day. And we all know what happens when the lights go out and it gets dark. That's when the cockroaches come out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think the anti-Semite uh, you know, protesters are. They're, they're like cockroaches. When it gets dark, they come out of the woodwork. But right. as we look at the whole thing, you know, in, in its entirety, um, you know, you can blame a lot on the individual protesters. You can blame a lot on Obama being the puppet master. But isn't there a different or th- maybe, let's say, a third major player pushing that agenda from behind the curtain absolutely so let me start by saying with what is referred to as israeli inflicted palestinian collateral damage overkill some in the liberal media call it as long as a partisan driven agenda sadly remains the mainstay of the liberal media's discourse i and now hopefully you dear reader and listener can see just how powerful a tool the media, including social media, has become for Hamas and therefore Iran. And with said media, media, whether knowingly or unknowingly, actually becoming a part of Iran and Hamas's arsenal to use against both Israel and the Jewish people, they also become but a tool to help Iran shape public opinion as to whom we Americans should deem their self-perceived real enemy to be. 
The media's constant droning on about a Palestinian humanitarian crisis, a crisis the Palestinian people alone allowed to happen, the constant showing of physical damage to Gaza itself, coupled with the constant lies about the death toll incurred, has now been used by the enemy and their supporters as a tool of incitement here at home, aimed directly at those who once silently harbored what was below the surface anti-Semitism, the media's seemingly one-sided rhetoric has directly fueled the dangerous anti-Semitic actions recently taken against Jewish people here at home, actions that would never be allowed nor tolerated if they were perpetrated against so-called people of color. And as certain partisan-driven talking heads overtly now try to influence the outcome of the November presidential election, they do so at the same time as they continue to condemn Israel's rightful response against those hell-bent on their and their Jewish people's destruction. And sadly, it seems that the media in general has now been allowed to dictate what is right and wrong, just and unjust, actions taken. Simply, recent major events and how they've been reported have shown not only a major shifting in former alliances, political and otherwise, but the sad possibility that the outcome of future key events, both here at home and abroad, might well be dictated by those in the media who herald misinformation, choose to rewrite events, report half-truths as facts, and who relish in continuing to spew lies. My earlier mentioned uneasiness now come to life. So as we enter this new year, I'm afraid that as somber as the holiday season of 2023 was, that 2024 might be even worse, not just for me, but for us all. Case closed. You know, you talk about the media and their role in all this anti-Semitism and and how they're constantly uh, taking the side of Hamas. You know, and we're talking, I mean, let's be honest here, about ABC, NBC, CBS, um, MSNBC, CNN, you know, outfits like that. Um, I haven't seen that much crap from talking heads on TV since Baghdad Bob was telling the Iraqi people there weren't any American troops within 300 miles of Baghdad and that Iraq was winning the war. When, in fact, the American troops were in the building that he was broadcasting from and the Iraqi troops were surrendering for cases of Girl Scout cookies. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this is is a very sad situation that we're seeing right now. And that's why, in my opinion, we need two new candidates, one on each side. We cannot afford a Trump-Biden rematch for the reason I stated. The fix is already in if it is a Trump-Biden rematch. I mean, let's let's look at that. Let's look at that possibility. Okay. The the rematch possibility. Mm -hmm. I mean... Is there anybody on the liberal side uh, of things that thinks Biden is actually going to be alive for another four years? And and I'm not saying that facetiously or flippantly. 
But we can see day by day, hour by hour, the guy is sliding into the abyss of cognizance. Um, well, you dementia know, just, could go just, on for a decade or more, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I understand that, but, you know, just the other day he was given a speech, and the instant he got done, Dr. Jill, use your air quotes, right. Dr. Mm-hmm. Jill, literally came flying up onto the stage, grabbed him by the arm, and ushered him off the stage. Exactly. Because, because she knew he wasn't going to be able to find his way off the stage. And from there, they flew in Marine One, the helicopter, to Delaware, to his home in Delaware. And right. I don't know, Diane, if you saw the videotape, but when he got off the, the helicopter there in Delaware, he had this blank look on his face. He had no idea where he was. I think well, he thought he that, was going to the White House and he couldn't find it. Well, during that conference that you're talking about, he actually went He went silent. They started playing the music for him to get off the stage. Then he went back to the podium, repeated some things, and went blank. That same kind of blank that happened to Mitch McConnell not too long ago. It's... It's very scary. Biden is not a well man. But the fix, the machines, the tabulation errors, the ballots lost, suddenly found, that scenario is already in place. Right. But but let's be clear about this, too. That scenario is in place no matter who the, the opponents are. That scenario not necessarily. Is oh, I, I not think necessarily. You, you, don't, you don't think so? I do. Not necessarily. Uh, It's a possibility. They have hitched their wagon, the Democrats, and especially the hierarchy, to Obama, hence Biden, too long to even consider the possibility that if a totally new person comes in, we have time to refix all the machines. I don't think they've even accepted that as a possibility. They never expected um, RFK Jr. to enter the race, especially as third party now, and take away the votes he is actually taking away from Biden. Well, I yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. But if the Democrat Party missed... The, the idea or the notion that RFK Jr. was going to step in as a third-party candidate, they simply weren't paying attention. You know, they they absolutely dismissed him as a Democrat. They wouldn't pay any attention to him right. as a Democrat. They were very disrespectful to him. For one reason, you know, because he was anti-jab. Right. Um you know, and you know, if they know anything about the Kennedys, and if they had ever paid a lick of attention to anything RFK Jr. has done over the past, let's say, twenty years, twenty-five years, mm-hmm. they know he does not take getting disrespected lightly. And if they didn't think he was going to, I mean, everybody who had any lick of common sense said, you know, early on when when the Democrats were dismissing him out of hand. They said, you know what? He's going to run third party. So let me ask you this. Does his third party run hurt 
the Democrat candidate or the Republican candidate more in your mind? In my mind, it all goes back to the independents. Many independents who are unhappy with a Trump-Biden rematch, I think, will go rogue and go third party. Okay, but that doesn't answer the question. I'm not saying all, of course. I'm not saying all, but a good number of them will, just like they did for Perot. Okay, but that doesn't answer the question. Now, when Perot did it, it hurt George H.W. Bush. That's that's who got stung in that deal. Okay, it hurt the Republican candidate. So, yeah, in this yeah. case, is it going to take more votes away from the Republican candidate or the Democrat candidate in your mind? I think it's going to be fairly equal down both. Well, if that's the case, then it kind of negates itself. I mean, if it's that even of a split. It doesn't really hurt either party. It just means fewer votes going to each party. I tend to think it's probably going to hurt the Democrats more. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of independents that would have voted Republican that will vote for, uh, you know, RFK Jr. I, that's just my thought, and I could be completely off base. I don't know. I mean, this this whole thing is shaping up to be something we've never experienced before. Well, we did experience it with Perot, and we should have learned certain lessons from it. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, from that standpoint, you're right. But when you look at all the outlying stuff, I mean, you know, Biden and his cognizance issues, uh, Kamala Harris being just just an absolute word salad mess. You got Donald Trump being all about donald trump you've got the his his campaign of revenge and retribution we've never seen anything like this when you lump it all together yeah no no that's true that's true but i i still believe the independents can pull what they want i still think the fix has already been set I hope I'm wrong, but I think if it's a Trump-Biden rematch, Donald Trump will lose. Well, you know, it it could happen that way. Um, I hope people that are listening don't say, well, you know, if the fix is in, there's no sense in going out voting because then, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But they do that anyway. A lot of them will say, oh, the polls show my candidate who I would have voted for is so far ahead. And well, what's my one vote? The, you know, oh, through these past three and a half years of Biden, people have become very lackadaisical because everything is well, just going so wrong. It's true. I mean, that's true. And that's why we've got to get out the vote. We have got to do it. Uh, we can't take anything True. for granted in 2024, and we can't just sit back on our haunches and say, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. Well, Folks, let's put it this way. If Biden were to become the president, we are screwed. 100%. Folks, yes. you can get Diane's op-ed, Uneasiness Unfolding, in two different places. You can go to her blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get 
the the link. You can open it up. You can read it for yourself. And we hope that you'll share the link everywhere you can. Uneasiness unfolding the Patriot Factor dot blogspot dot com or RSP Radio One dot com. Now with that, we've hit the top of the hour, which means we need to take another quick break. When we come back, the final segment of tonight's show, and I've got it with a Poison Ivy League resignation. Stay with us. There's more Right Side Patriots after this. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from the Patriot Factor on the Patriot Factor dot blogspot dot com where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, Check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Sight Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor, getting you through the Tuesday night show, and if you miss any part of it, go to RSPRadio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, and have at it. That's what we say. All right, so, you know, unless you were living under a rock for the past couple of weeks, You probably heard about the situation at Harvard University uh, and this congressional hearing and all the fallout from it. And that's what I decided to take on with a Poison Ivy League resignation. You know, for many years, I've referred to our nation's colleges and universities, both honestly and often, as asylums of higher indoctrination. I stand by that description as the situation has only become worse over the past decade. I can say honestly as well that throughout my years in school, from elementary school through college, I never once knew the political affiliation of any teacher, instructor, or professor I had. Maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough for the science, but 
Never once did any teacher, instructor, or professor in any school or class I attended try to indoctrinate students with their political ideology. Not once, not even in my history or political science classes. Sadly, that has changed. Now any student at any level of what used to be education is being indoctrinated into the liberal Marxist ideology in history, math, English, science, or any other class you care to mention. What used to be teachers taught students how to think. Today, indoctrinators tell students what to think. And as the transition from education to indoctrination has been pushed by liberal school boards, liberal administrations, liberal unions, and liberal teachers, academic test scores have fallen. Diane, that should come as no great surprise, as the liberal Marxist ideology is far more interested in social reengineering than they are in education. Well, unfortunately, the term social engineering really falls under a bigger sort of uh, name, one that we have grown to hate more than anything, I think. Yeah, let's call it the woke umbrella. Yes. You can add woke into the mix now, as even our nation's most prestigious asylums of higher indoctrination have gone from the Ivy League to the Poison Ivy League. And there's no greater example of this than Harvard University's now former president, Claudine Gay. Make no mistake, Claudine Gay was a diversity, equity, and inclusion hire. Gay was enshrined as the 30th president at Harvard last July, and not because of her accomplishments in the slimy world of academia. I say that because, as we now know, she obviously was not vetted properly, if at all. In early December of last year, in the wake of the Hamas terrorist attack against Israel on October 7, 2023, Gay appeared before a congressional hearing regarding anti-Semitic pro-Hamas demonstrations held on Harvard's campus, where Harvard students sided with the international terrorist organization Hamas, calling for the elimination of all Jews and wiping Israel from the map. In that testimony, Gay was asked by Representative Elise Stefanik, a Republican out of New York, whether or not calls for genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules against bullying and harassment. Gay's answer was shocking, abhorrent, and anti-Semitic. Quote, if it can be, or I'm, I'm sorry, quote, it can be, depending on the context, unquote. Really? There's a context in which calling for genocide of any group is okay? Certainly not. But Gay continued, and again I quote, When it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action, unquote. Except no action was taken against the students or Harvard student organizations that openly called for the genocide of the Jews. Why not, Ms. Gay? Do calls for genocide not meet the Harvard standard for bullying, harassment, or intimidation? Exactly why should Jewish students at Harvard not feel bullied, harassed, and intimidated when their fellow students openly call for genocide against them? 
Diane, according to Gay, calling for action to be taken to commit genocide against Jews is allowable as a free speech issue. Well, this woman was so off off her game, let's say, uh, during the congressional testimony. Um, a, a movement basically started to rid Harvard of her. And it wasn't as successful in the end as we thought. But, you know, uh, at least some actions were taken. Yeah, I mean, as calls for Gay to resign grew, it became evident that she would not do the right thing. Then came the calls for her to be fired. And that's when the Poison Ivy League Asylum of Woke Higher Indoctrination rallied around her. Harvard's executive committee unanimously and unequivocally came to Claudine Gay's support. The Harvard Corporation, one of the governing bodies running that asylum, also pledged their support for the anti-Semitic Claudine Gay. In the wake of the blowback, Gay attempted an apology, stating, quote, I got caught up in what became, at that point, an extended combative exchange about policies and procedures. What I should have had the presence of mind to do in that moment was return to my guiding truth, which is calls for violence against our Jewish community, threats to our Jewish students, have no place at Harvard and will never go unchallenged, unquote. Her guiding truth? Seriously? If her guiding truth was really that calls for violence against our Jewish community, threats to our Jewish students have no place at Harvard and will never go unchallenged, Gay would never not even for a moment, regardless of the nature of the questions posed in that congressional hearing, brought the quote-unquote context of the calls for genocide into the mix. It was a hollow apology, but it did manage to open Pandora's box. People started doing what Harvard should have done before hiring Claudine Gay as their president. They began to vet her. And what they found is disturbing, but not Terribly surprising. While looking into Claudine Gay's academic papers, people began finding passages that were quite familiar. Gay is a plagiarist. One, then two examples of plagiarism were discovered, and again, the asylum's leadership rallied around Claudine Gay, correcting her omissions of attribution and adding quotation marks wherever they were needed to avert any idea of conduct unbecoming a student at the asylum, much less the president of it. But the slow drip of plagiarism soon turned into an open faucet. After a month of vetting, not by Harvard, but by other individuals, it's been found that Gay's plagiarism was not confined to a couple of inadvertent examples. It was pervasive. It was persistent. In fact, according to the Free Beacon, quote, the total number of plagiarism allegations against Gay are, are near 50, or half of Gay's published works, unquote. Now the tide began to turn. The Asylum student newspaper, the Harvard Crimson, which initially supported Gay during the slow drip of plagiarism allegations, was now against her and calling for her to be removed. Two editorial staff members wrote, and I quote, 
Our doubts began in the wake of the Hamas attacks on October 7th. Without question, Gay botched her public response to the crisis. She sent out-of-touch email after out-of-touch email to the student body, which totaled five in the end. She bungled her testimony before Congress to international criticism. Now, on top of these blunders, it has surfaced that Gay plagiarized portions of multiple academic papers. The situation seems to worsen with each passing week, unquote. Diane, the editorial, then went on to state, quote, President Gay may be a good person. She may even be praiseworthy as a scholar, despite the allegations. But that isn't enough to remain president. The leader of the world's foremost university must be held to a higher standard, one that Gay has unfortunately failed to meet. It's clear to us that the continuation of Gay's tenure as president not only hurts the university, but for Harvard's sake, Gay must go, unquote. Yeah, well, finally, you know, some students woke up, if you will, and realized what was going on. And um, they started posing the question to her that she either needs to be fired or just resign. And that started the ball rolling towards her resignation. Well, that's right. I mean, one undergraduate member of Harvard's Honor Council, who asked to remain anonymous, most likely out of fear of reprisal from the liberal Marxist Poison Ivy League administration, penned an op-ed last week stating, quote, When my peers are found responsible for multiple instances of inadequate citation, they are often suspended for an academic year. When the president of their university is found responsible for the same types of infractions, the fellows at the corporation unanimously stand in support of her. That student's op-ed went on to state, quote, There is one standard for me and my peers and another much lower standard for our university's president. The corporation should resolve the double standard by demanding her resignation. Not only were calls for the ouster of Claudine Gay growing, but the financial fallout has been profound as well. Beginning with Gay's absurd anti-Semitic context statement in that congressional hearing, but now amid growing revelations of her plagiarism, big money donors are pulling their money away from that asylum. So far, billions of dollars in donations have been canceled and more investigations by Congress regarding federal funding to Harvard are in the offing. Last Tuesday, July 2nd, 2024, Claudine Gay resigned as Harvard's president, making hers the shortest tenure of any of the school's presidents. But don't jump for joy just yet, as Claudine Gay claims that although she resigned as president of the Poison Ivy League Asylum, she plans on remaining there as a faculty member. In her letter of resignation, Diane Gay wrote, It is a singular honor to be a member of this university, which has been my home and my inspiration for most of my professional career. My deep sense of connection to Harvard and its people has made it all the more painful to witness the tensions and divisions that have riven our community in recent months, weakening the bonds of trust and reciprocity, 
that should be our source of strength and support in times of crisis. Amidst all of this, it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. Well, shock of all shocks, it wasn't her anti-Semitic bloviations, nor was it the fact that she was caught plagiarizing on at least half of her published academic papers that drove her to resign. It was, quote-unquote, personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. Would you expect anything different from a completely unedited or unvetted diversity, equity, and inclusiveness hire? Would you expect anything different from someone who was hired based only upon the fact that she was a black woman rather than on her academic merit? Diane, would you expect anything different from someone who was hired under woke protocol whose academic career is nothing more than a farce? Well, let's put it this way. I wouldn't. But many liberal institutions would because her ideology is their ideology. Well, that's true, and that ideology means never taking responsibility for one's own actions. Of course. Now, let's face another fact. If the Poison Ivy League Asylum allows this fraud to remain as a faculty member, it shows that the asylum has learned nothing and that former donors are correct in pulling their money from the school. Think about it. If students get caught plagiarizing, they're expelled, but they allow faculty members who've been caught red-penned, as it were, as plagiarists to remain. What does that tell the future students? Well, tells them that regardless of how indoctrinated they are into the liberal ideology, no matter how vigorously they apply that ideology, the ideology's double standard is weighted against them. One cannot Mm -hmm. simply fire a black woman who was hired, not based on merit, but simply because she's a black woman. And sources say she'll be keeping the $879,000 yearly salary as well, regardless of whether she becomes Harvard's dean of wokeness or just sits in an Ivy League tower for the rest of the world to see. We'll call it Harvard's remittance of reparations. And what of other unresolved issues at Harvard? What of the over 700 Harvard faculty members who openly and proudly signed a letter of support for gay after the anti-Semitic remarks? Well, they should all be fired. While those students who have openly and proudly taken up the cause of Hamas, an international terrorist organization while calling for genocide of the Jews, should all be expelled. But that's not going to happen, is it? Finally, let me leave you with further words from Claudine Gay's resignation and my thoughts about them. She wrote, and I quote, As we welcome our new year and new semester, I hope we can all look forward to brighter days. Sad as I am to be sending this message, my hopes for Harvard remain undimmed. 
When my brief presidency is remembered, I hope it will be seen as a moment of reawakening to the importance of striving to find our common humanity and of not allowing rancor and vituperation to undermine the vital process of education. I trust we will all find ways in this time of intense challenge and controversy to recommit ourselves to the excellence, the openness, and the independence that are crucial to what our university stands for and to our capacity to serve the world, unquote. Now, when she writes, I hope it will be seen as a moment of reawakening, she means wokeness. And when she writes, I trust we will all find ways in this time of intense challenge and controversy to recommit ourselves to the excellence and openness of the independence. She means diversity, equity, and inclusiveness. Even in disgrace, this unvetted anti-Semitic academic fraud and now former president of a poison Ivy League asylum of higher indoctrination is still towing the liberal Marxist ideology while blaming her own self-inflicted demise on others. I suspect that the resignation of the poison Ivy League anti-Semitic plagiarist will not be a learning moment for her or any other asylum, but just a challenge to the liberal Marxist community to do better at hiding the true nature of their ideology and purveyors of it in the future so as to continue the indoctrination of students at all levels of what used to be our system of education. Used to be puts it mildly because it started changing with Common Core and went downhill from there. I mean, this whole situation is ridiculous. And the idea, oh, yeah, I'll I'll resign as president, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be on the faculty, and I'm going to keep the $879,000 a year salary. That's insane. That woman deserves nothing, as far as I'm concerned. I've got a question. Maybe it's rhetorical. Maybe it's not. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's say you're a student at Harvard. God only knows why at this point you would ever want to be. But let's say you are. And let's say, you know, you, you get a little bit behind in your studies and, and you get kind of caught up at the end of the semester and you got to get a term paper written. So you cut and paste some somebody else's work into your term paper and you don't attribute it to anybody. You don't include any quotes. You literally plagiarize that part of it. Mm-hmm. And you get caught and, and you're asked to leave the university What do you do at that point? First of all, she shouldn't have been asked to resign. She should have been fired on spot. Uh, Letting her resign will always, in some people's minds, give her some credence, which she does not deserve. This woman is an anti-Semi, plain and simple. Her true feelings came out during her discourse and to let her stay on as a faculty member what is she going to become the dean of plagiarism i mean how or you know how to commit plagiarism in two three easy lessons i mean she does not belong at harvard 
She probably right. never did. She came but, up through the affirmative action ranks. Right. Um, well, I mean, obviously she's a, a DEI hire because they never vetted her. If they right. would have vetted her even a little bit, they'd have found this plagiarism, and that would have disqualified her, uh, not only as a faculty member, but certainly as the president of Harvard University. Listen. Right. If I was a student there and I got caught plagiarizing, I would immediately initiate the Claudine Gay defense. In that, you kept her as a faculty member for $879,000 a year as a salary. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything she didn't do, so you can't throw me out. Now, if I was a student at Harvard in the past who got tossed for plagiarizing, I would right now get myself a good attorney and I would sue the ever-living crap out of that asylum of higher indoctrination. If you're going to keep on your faculty a proven, known plagiarist, and I got thrown out of your university, I had to go get my college degree somewhere else that's nowhere near as prestigious, and that cost me money in my professional life, I would sue that university. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people that tried to make a shortcut in their studies by plagiarizing and did get expelled from Harvard for doing it. I would think they would have a case if Harvard is keeping her as a faculty member to collectively sue Harvard University for billions upon billions, if not tens of billions of dollars. It could very well be. I mean, there's the way these liberals think anything and everything is possible. If, if you're, if you're going to keep somebody like that on your faculty, especially at that kind of salary, but I don't care if you got her on there for a dollar a year. Okay, if you're going to keep somebody on there who has plagiarized in half of her academic papers, and yet you're throwing students out for plagiarizing just once, I would see to it, it that that no university sense. is ruined financially. The best thing they can do is all the donors, the big money donors, pull back their donations, do not allow any more. And the parents should bring their children back home because this is not an education they're receiving. This is a liberal Marxist um, brainwashing, if you will. Right. Now, let me, let me in the few minutes we got left here. And by the way, folks. Uh, you can get my commentary on my blog. Uh, it's under the title, A Poison Ivy League Resignation. You can get it at thenationalpatriot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either place, you can find the link, you can read it yourself, and hopefully share it everywhere you can. But let me put the shoe on the other foot. We're talking about students who have gotten caught plagiarizing. Let's say... You are one of Harvard's best and brightest that they have ever had. You did everything correct. You okay. went through that school. You studied your ass off. You took the hardest courses, and you became whatever you became, a doctor, a lawyer, a head of industry, whatever, whatever the case might be. 
and you've proudly displayed your Harvard diploma on your wall ever since. Now, your diploma, even though you did nothing wrong, your diploma is now forever tarnished by this. Yes. Yes. How do you feel? I mean, oh my God, you went to one of the most prestigious schools in the country, if not on the planet. And now, your diploma, because of this fraud, your diploma is worth less now than it's ever been. Well, there's a word for what could happen, and it's called lawsuits. Seriously, don't be surprised if some people start suing the school. That's what I'm saying should happen. Furthermore, yeah. in, in the minute or two we have left here, furthermore, I'll just throw this in just, just for giggles. Right now, Harvard University's name is Mud. Yes. Okay? We know that big, big money donors are pulling back. Mm-hmm. We know that, that they're in a world of hurt. You know, one, one last thing that I think needs to be done in this case is I, I think all federal money from Harvard or any other school that has engaged and allowed students and faculty on campus to side with Hamas, an international terrorist organization, they all need to be fired and they all need to expel. And don't tell me that none of these schools can pinpoint exactly who these students are, who the student organizations were, or who the faculty were. A lot of them literally, openly, and proudly signed their names to letters supporting Hamas. Oh, they know. But they're afraid of the uh, fallback that they're going to receive. They know. I'm telling you what, if I was a student at Harvard today, even if I was doing everything right, I'd get myself the hell out of that place. Well, you know, it changed with affirmative action. Just like uh, other schools, when they hooked into affirmative actions, their ratings started going down, their teething, teaching methods started being questioned, etc. Affirmative action has caused a lot of problems in this country. If you I can't were... have equality when the ones that you're trying to make equal only make up 12.8% of the population. If if I ran a law firm, if I ran a major hospital or a major clinic today, right now, I would never hire somebody that came to me from Harvard because I now know what kind of an indoctrination they got. Exactly. Plain and simple. It is. Folks, we have run out of time for the show tonight. If you missed any part of it, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow, click the podcast button, and it'll be right there. Okay. And I'll have it up as soon as I can in the morning. Time to say goodnight, Diane. Good night, folks. See you on Friday. Have a great rest of the week. We'll catch up with you on Friday. Bye-bye.